Hey there! Are you tired of waiting for the next episode of It's Probably Not Aliens? Well, we've got some good news for you. On Nebula, our streaming service, you can get access to all our episodes a week early. That's right, you'll never have to wait again to hear Scott and I debunk the latest ancient astronaut theory or get a movie fact wrong. But that's not all. Nebula is home to dozens of content creators we know you like, so you can find all your favorites in one place. Plus, we post content on there that you won't find anywhere else. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and listen to the next episode right after this one. Tristan, I am concerned about a trend, about a trend that I'm seeing on the internet. This is very topical. As you know, we record Mm -hmm. these in advance, so people will have already heard about this and moved on from it by now. You and I record a podcast. I've heard this. This is a rumor. Yeah. Yeah. And when we're doing this podcast, you and I both have big headphones on our heads. This is true. Do you know where I'm going with this? Or is this all news to you? Oh, is this about headphone skull or whatever? People getting dents on their heads or something? It is about people, specifically streamers, realizing that they wear headphones for so long that it has put a dent in their, a visible dent in their skull where their headphones sit. And there's a lot of videos about this of people realizing it, like shaving their head to like look at it. Now, my head's shaven already because I'm a bald Mm -hmm. guy and I think I'm okay right now. I don't feel anything on my end, but also I I fell off of a swing when I was a kid and I'm like 90% sure that I cracked my skull but didn't go to the hospital for it. So my head is lumpy in general. (laughs) You got a lumpy head. Maybe it was protecting you. Maybe those lumps have protected you. Mm. They've strengthened your, your skull from caving in. I also, as I've said a lot on this podcast, my head is so small that even these headphones at their smallest still hover above. You can see it, Tristan, right? They still hover above. So they're not actually touching the top of my head. So I feel pretty, I feel pretty blessed actually for my tiny head. I'm not going to get headphone dent. Yeah, the headphone dent thing doesn't make sense to me because like this, like this part here, this top part's not really putting, like there's not a lot of pressure here. And underneath here, it's all padded. So like, I don't, maybe, maybe for streamers, who do like 12 hours a day, like six days a week or something. That's, that's what I'm saying is if you were a pro gamer, then, you know, maybe you would get it. Maybe you would get gamer head, but we're not pro gamers. We're pro streamers. You would get gamer skull. It sounds like uh, some sort of like dystopian cyberpunk uh, disorder. Oh man, it came down with gamer head. Got some gamer head. I don't like how sexual that sounds actually. I don't, I don't know about that. Gamer skull, gamer cranium. I'm a Kramer. Kramer. (laughs) I'm a Kramer. Oh no. I I thought I I wanted to bring that up because, you know, we've talked about skull deformation Mm -hmm. or skull reformation and stuff in the past. And I just wanted to say that it's still happening. It's still here, whether intentional or not. People are going to have headphone rests on their skulls in the future. And if AR and VR technology is the way it's going to go, our heads are just going to be squished between machines and our eyes and our ears. And we're going to have like a really weird hourglass shaped head with like lumps everywhere. We're going to turn to the grays. We're going to turn into the grays. But instead of a big bulbous head, we're going to have like a we're gonna have like the gray's anatomy <laughs> we're gonna have the gray's anatomy which will look like a big hammock head like a, ha- a head you can just re- la- uh, relax into uh, uh, on a nice cool day that that does remind me scott uh on yeah. that note you're talking about the ar vr thing you had been always saying that like oh yeah apple's working on this thing that's gonna be like a vr headset and i've been told it's mm-hmm. gonna change everything and then they did and everyone's making fun of it <laughs> No, no, no. And this is, and I've always said this too, is like, 
all of the tech people that I follow have always said that this is going to be, Apple's going to change the game. And I've never, and I said this, I said this much on Twitter at the time. I was like, I wish, I wish I could understand the hype between AR and VR stuff. Like the technology in it to make it work is like impressive, I guess. Sure. But like, would I ever use any of it? Probably not in its current state. No, like even as technologically advanced as any, any of these systems are, I just don't get it. So you don't think you're going to walk around with uh, a ski, ski goggles that have a half hour battery life? No, no. Well, they, in, in, in actuality, they have a two hour battery life, which is so it's not, they're like, you can be immersed by watching a movie in these. You can almost watch a movie. (laughs) It's not long enough for a movie. And like, they're envisioning people on flights wearing these. And it's like, again, for a long flight, if a flight is like less than two hours, chances are I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to watch anything. But if it's longer than two hours, then you can't do anything with it. We're, I can't talk about this headset that Apple made because it's so it's so baffling to me. And I I'm and again, I'm sure the technology is great and everyone says it's great. But like, I don't get it. And I I'm happy for the people who are happy. I guess know? like I'm in the space where I'm thinking like, OK, maybe this reaction is kind of like when they announced the iPad and everyone was like, there's no reason I'm ever going to need something like this. And then it turned out that everybody wanted it. But hey, maybe do you want to know the difference? difference? Do you know yeah. the difference between the iPad and Apple's Vision Pro? The, is that when the, the vision iPad, of the iPad, uh, the visionary behind the iPad, is currently dead because he decided to uh, <laughs> only eat fruit and it gave him prostate cancer? So that's definitely part of it. Another part of it is that when the iPad was being rumored, everyone was saying, "Oh, it's going to be a thousand dollars. It's going to be over a thousand dollars." And then they came out, and Steve Jobs was like, "Actually, it's going to be like five hundred dollars or something like that." So like the rumored pricing was so big that everyone was like, no one's going to buy this. And then Apple was like, actually, it's super affordable, actually, for what it is. And the the Vision Pro, all the rumors were like, it's going to be $3,000. And then Apple came out and said, actually, it's going to be $500 more than that. (laughs) So they've made it unattainable, basically. And not as, in my opinion, right now in its current form, not as useful. Just don't get it. I wish I got it. Mm -hmm. I wish I understood it. I know that there's people who really want VR to happen. I don't know what or why. Like AR can kind of get, I feel like we're not going to get there unless we get the, the what's it called? Like I, we get it to the size of just regular glasses. Because at the end of the day, yeah. this is, I mean, this is way off topic from what we're going for. But at the end of the day, that was like, like, it, like it's been less good Google Glass and Google Glass was unobtrusive and small and we still rejected it. Yeah, we still rejected it because everyone looked like nerds. And also it was like a privacy thing too, right? People were like, how do I know they're not recording me, this person with the Google Glass? Yeah, they kicked somebody out of McDonald's because it looked like he was like filming everybody and then he was like, I am the first cyborg hate crime victim or something like that. <laughs> it, was the, it was the dumbest. Man, Google Glass people were weird. But um. But now imagine that. And then you're walking in with like this ridiculous, like ski goggle thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then uh, I can't, I, you will get me to talk. I could talk about the Apple vision pro thing for a, literally a full hour, but we can't because we have to talk about skulls. skulls. We have to talk about skulls. We are recording a podcast right now, Tristan. Oh shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, hi, everybody. This is a podcast called it's probably not aliens where we talk about pseudo history, pseudo archeology, ancient astronaut theory and ancient aliens and boy howdy do we have a fun one today we do we have a this this episode has a backstory long long time ago we had a podcast we had a podcast that was recording episodes but had not aired yet so we were meeting yes. up every week because tristan wanted to start a podcast with scott but yeah. also tristan, tristan tristan is tristan is you yeah and scott is me yeah uh yes. scott knows nothing i know also nothing that's yeah. where we're, that's our that's our dynamic no so i wait wait Way back in the day, we were just starting this idea of a podcast. Yes. It wasn't even out yet. We recorded some episodes. But we knew that I was having a baby or that yes. Kelly was having a baby and I was participating. You were a part of this baby scenario. Yes, I was part of this baby scenario. We were going to be having a kid in like January and the podcast, uh, we started recording like in March. So we were like, we want to get a huge ass backlog so I can take like two months off. And mm-hmm. I wrote a bunch of episodes. We recorded a bunch of episodes and we had a really good time. Uh, in that, I wrote 
an entire researched and wrote an entire episode of the podcast that then when I brought it up, we were like, you know, it'd be really cool if mm. we hold on to this one and did it uh, like with a sort of bonus episode where we watch the movie because we're doing the Crystal Skulls today. Uh, yeah, you've seen the title. Yeah. Uh, so we were like, all right, well, why don't we do like one of those podcast staples of the watch along for Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and then yeah. do a Crystal Skull episode to go along with it. And then and then it would be like it would be like more and fun content because then we can laugh at bad movie but then we just kind of never got around to doing the crystal skull watch through and then all of a sudden it's now two like almost two years to the day since i like wrote and recorded or wrote this episode down harrison ford said i gotta do one last ride as my boy indy just so probs not aliens has an excuse to watch my previous joint as indiana jones and then make a commentary track about it that you can listen to. He has to buy a new six pack of airplanes because he has uh, he has crashed the last the last six pack he bought. So he has to go to Costco and get a He's six pack of airplanes. His his favorite pastime. And so now we are finally going to visit Crystal Skulls, an episode that Tristan wrote and researched years ago basically for this podcast. So if there is, have you refreshed? Have you looked over this since then? Since like very, or, is it, or we just go, okay. So we're just going into it based off of what past Tristan wrote. But I also have um, my mother's like iron trap memory. So I imagine it's going to come back to me pretty fast. And if you've not, and the reason we're talking about this, by the way, we could have done a better job of setting this up. The past, the previous Indiana Jones movie about kingdom of the crystal skulls. If you're not an Indiana Jones person, that movie was about ancient aliens like spoilers that's sort of like a twist at the end but like the crystal skull that they're chasing the whole time or like trying to figure out what this mystical relic does and and whatnot it's revealed that it's just aliens it's actual alien beings in the indiana jones universe that come and visit them and they're the they're responsible for um you know helping and shia labeouf's uh, ancient civilizations yeah so it taps on a lot of the ancient aliens stuff that we uh have talked about a lot on this show as we look at ancient the show ancient aliens and now we're looking at this movie and we're going to talk about the crystal skulls and if, if you're confused and you haven't caught on basically what we're saying is this is an episode that's going to talk about the actual history and culture and stuff about crystal skulls and then we are also going to do another separate audio thing that's an audio commentary track over the movie indiana jones kingdom of the crystal skull that commentary track will be up on nebula nebula yeah exclusively so that'll be we haven't recorded it yet so that'll be fine have you seen the movie i saw it once i think around the time it came out and i was like yeah that's that's fine. I don't need I don't need to ever watch this again. Yeah. <laughs> Except we'll, that, of we'll, course I'll do anything for content. So Yeah. So we'll we'll record that here shortly. It should be up by the time that you're listening to this. So go check that out at nebula.tv slash probably not aliens, right? Mm-hmm. And then we should have a bonus exclusive uh commentary track for Indiana Jones. Now obviously it's just audio. You will not be able to watch the movie. We can't post the movie to to, to Nebula. <laughs> yeah, so we're we're releasing Indiana Jones on Nebula. Maybe we can. How they can't? It's Nebula. It's not YouTube. They can't copyright strike us. We'll talk to the lawyers. It's commentary, so technically it's um fra- fair use. I feel like that's that's pushing fair use to its like to its to the next degree. All right, but this is an episode of this podcast. We are going to talk about the actual crystal skulls which I didn't know were a real thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you know anything about UFO people or especially like new age psychic people, crystal skulls have been a big thing. I've seen one at a psychic convention when I was like 10 years old because I told you my mom was crunchy and took me to those kinds of things. So let me tell you about crystal skulls. Please do. Uh, They're associated with ancient aliens and are believed to originate from Mexico and other parts of Central America. Many thousands of millions of people around the world believe that these skulls were carved (laughs) thousands or even tens of thousands of years ago by an ancient Mesoamerican civilization, usually attributed to the Aztec or the Maya, two civilizations that didn't exist tens of thousands of years ago. Others think that they may be relics from the legendary island of Atlantis. Whoa! Or proof that extraterrestrials visited the 
Aztecs sometime before the Spanish conquest. So yeah, there you yeah. Go. So I mean, this this pretty much ties in with what I remember about the movie, which is that yeah, they, they were tied in with ancient civilizations. They were like mysterious. They weren't actual people skulls. They were just like crystals carved to look like skulls. They weren't like, or at least that's how it was supposed to be. I think in the movie they were actual alien skulls, though. I think they were the skulls of actual aliens and not like crystals that you're attributing far too much sense to that movie. I don't know. I, just I can't remember, remember John Hurt saying they're from the space between spaces. That's yeah, what, that was like a really profound thing to say. <laughs> yeah. So let's just say this. Um, crystal skulls are not a mysterious or uncommon phenomenon. They're produced. Thousands of them are produced every year in places like Brazil, China and Germany. Mm-hmm. There are a handful, though, that have fueled a little bit of interest in controversy among archaeologists, scientists, spiritualists and museum officials for more than 100 years. Uh, a dozen of them are very rare and kept in public and private collections. What they are are human skulls made of milky white quartz, but some are also mm-hmm. made of crystal clear or smoky or colored quartz. And others uh, are actually human size and in very high detail, but some are smaller and are more abstract. So they come in all sorts of ranges um, from being clear, perfectly anatomically perfect uh, skulls of human heads to like a quartz you know, engraving of a skull. Anyone doesn't know, like quartz is basically a term for just generic crystal. Yeah, it's just sort of like that classic sort of like clear, clearish crystal. It's just what you, it would be like what you would think of when you just think of the word crystal, basically. That's how Mm -hmm. I think of it. It doesn't really have a color, at least in the movie, it doesn't have a color. It's very clear. Mm -hmm. And so there's stories about these skulls that claim that they have supernatural abilities, specifically in the New Age movement. They're often seen to have power. One of the people who wrote about this is a guy by the name of Joshua Shapiro, who co-authored a book called Mystery of the Crystal Skulls Revealed, claims that these skulls can heal, that they have uh, ability to expand the psychic abilities of people. So it's basically um, Sinestro, or not Sinestro, um, the, the metal hat that Professor X wears. To oh, find Cerebro. People. Cerebro. So it's basically Cerebro mixed with uh, healing powers. That makes sense. I'm, I'm not... And I don't know too much about this guy you're talking about, but I'm really, I am hesitant to trust someone with the last name Shapiro, Mm -hmm. just for different reasons. I don't know this guy very well, but my, the track record for Shapiro to me is sort of dubious. Yeah. And this, um, so this wet ass P word here, um, will kind of, (laughs) uh, uh, so this is a quote from them about this. Uh, we believe that the crystal skulls are a form of computer. Okay. Which are able to record energy and vibration that occur around them. He writes, this is actually really useful because it feels like we, I feel like in the years since I wrote this, that we've done a bit of the lead up work to some of the concepts that are covered in this, right? Yeah, this like we is know pretty about useful, actually. Energy now, and uh, the skull yeah. will pictorially replay all events or images of the people who have come into contact with them. They contain the history of our world. Again, uh, love to see that. Just love to see if you can if you can show that happening. Yeah, how does that work? Another paranormal researcher named Anna Mitchell Hedges claims that the skull can uh, cause vision and cure cancer. Sweet, love oh, it. We've, we've cured rad. cancer with crystal skulls. Um, we did it. And that she once used its magical properties to kill a man. And in another instance, she had a premonition of the JFK assassination. Boy, this thing can do anything, right? Yeah. It can cure cancer. It can kill people. It can predict when people will die. Wait, is did this happen before the assassination? Or, or was it just like, I saw, I went back to it. I saw it happening. It says a premonition. So that means, so Anna that Mitchell Hedges, mean. how come you didn't get involved? Where, where were you? Do maybe, maybe she was in the grassy knoll. Maybe that's what that moment <gasps> was about. That's what, the skull was there. She was like, I saw the premonition and in the premonition, it failed. So I had to make sure the job got done. I got to <laughs> make sure it got done. So I Lee Harvey Oswald history. has no idea that she was there. She just was there and she made sure to get on top of that. And yeah, I was, Oswald was like, wow, I did a really good shot just now. That was really impressive. Good on me. And meanwhile, in the grassy knoll, just this like lady with this crystal skull, just like, I have, I've done what must be done. I've righted the wrongs of history. 
And right before that, she also went to Abraham Zapruder and was like, hey, you should start filming right now. Something really cool is going to happen. That's a good spot. That's a pretty good spot if you look over there, over in that way. Yeah, don't, people are going to make zoom a... zoom in. You want to be famous? Yeah. Hey, you want to be famous? You want... you want, What's your name? Zapruder? That's hard to say. Do you want have to have people say it forever throughout history? Here you go. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, so like that's, you know, a lot of... Those are a lot of big claims. Uh, also in a play called The Satin Slipper, which came out in 1931, which was by Paul Claudel. Uh, the king of Spain, Philip II, uses, quote, a death's head made from a single piece of rock crystal that was lit by a ray of the setting sun to defeat the Spanish Armada in its attack on the Kingdom of England. Or to see the defeat. So had a prem used used a crystal. So so in this play, King Philip of Spain sees uh-huh. a uh, a premonition of the famous Spanish Armada uh, failing to attack England. This is like a famous piece of English history where Spain sent an armada to basically conquer England, and it got caught in a really nasty storm and basically ended the invasion. And um, that to some people might be like the reason why England is not like a Spanish like or, or isn't catholic today like mm. because of this like this weird fluke and so it, it's a big part of like the english self-concept about it like what could have in. happened if the spanish armada had actually made it there's also some speculation or there was speculation i should say unfortunately we've already kind of made the episode about this before but there was speculation that the skulls had some sort of connection with the completion of the Bactoon cycle which was completed oh. on the mayan calendar on december 21st 2012 Four Boy, yeah, we did. I'm sort of glad that we waited to talk about this episode, uh, the, the Crystal Skulls, because we have touched on a lot of this stuff yeah. already, and people can go back and listen to the previous episodes. Um, that was a good episode that we did, the, the history of the world ending back in 2012. Mm-hmm. Go listen to that. This is wild how much this touches on other yeah. other theories. So according to this speculation that there are 13 crystal skulls and that if we want to stop the catastrophe that's going to come on December 21st, 2012, we're going to have to reunite all of the skulls and stop it from happening, which I think is also in the movie. If I remember correctly, at the end, they get a bunch of them together and they kind of do something. Yes. And the movie did come out. I was in the background as you were talking. I was trying to look out if this movie was also impacted by the writer's strike. I couldn't find anything. Um, It did come out in 2008, which would have been around the time of the writer's strike, but it I, it was mostly just written by George Lucas and, and a few other people. So I think it definitely just, reads. The movie definitely feels like it was written by George Lucas. So I think it was just him doing his thing. And uh, I don't think it was be- necessarily because of a writer's strike. I think it was just George Lucas was doing some weird stuff doing some weird stuff back in the early 2000s. I think that makes sense. Like I I can understand that this Indiana Jones movie was made by the same person who wrote such wonderful lines as I have brought peace and stability to my new empire. Your new empire, don't make me kill you. <laughs> From my don't perspective, it's the Jedi you. who are evil. And other such uh, unintentional lines of brilliant cringe comedy. Very good stuff. But yeah, I think, yeah, I do remember them having to take the crystal skull to a specific place and like put it on a pedestal or something. And like that sort of reunites all the different skulls. And then that's when the aliens come. And I I don't even know if they're aliens. I think they're just like interdimensional beings or something. But I'm just going to keep saying aliens because that's what it feels like to me. I mean, if they're from another dimension, it means they are not from here. So I guess that does That is true. They're not necessarily from another planet aliens but they're not from here aliens so that works yeah the the thing though is that a lot of mesoamericans will point out that the maya collapse 2012 alien intervention and the end of the world all have very little to do with the actual resetting of the Bactoon cycle and that um uh, that the 2012 cycle has no signs of ever having been associated with the end of the world and then there's the other aspect which is that we're recording this in june of 2023 over 10 years after the world was supposed to end in the world still going as far as i know still going still going strong but that's mostly just because i'm rocking these apple vision pro head headsets so that's my if i take these off the world could be gone and i don't want that tristan you're in my headset right now and all and that's all i see is just the world around me through this headset and i'm scared to take these off fair enough i guess like i i guess i uh i'm either an npc in your video game or yeah uh, i'm also in this things i don't know it and then the next part i wrote here we need to do that 2012 episode (laughs) (laughs) good news past tristan good we did it 
We did a 2012 episode. Yep. So this, um, the Crystal Skulls have been a part of what I would call uh, cable, quote unquote, educational, quote unquote, nonsense. Okay. Uh, so there has been the mystery of the Crystal Skulls uh, was a 2008 program made by the Sci-Fi Channel and then was shown on the Discovery Channel in Canada that June, mm. uh, which included an interview with uh, Richard Hoagland, who's a conspiracy theory proponent who's big into UFO stuff, who attempted to link the skulls and the Maya to life on Mars. And then David Hatcher Childress... Oh, a proponent no. of a lost Atlantean civilization anti-gravity claim also another uh, was also in this documentary a person who you might know as being a regular guest on Ancient Aliens in fact he's like one of the he's producers here. of the show he's going to be at the live show we're going to see him in person we're going to see him in person my boy I love him he's going to be that's what this is the thing too about all of these and and I you know, if you've ever watched the show Ancient Aliens, you will have seen there are many times where both David Childress and Giorgio Sukalos will dress up. They'll like go on location to whatever they're talking, like a site that they're talking about, and they will dress up. I know that they're just dressed up as what they think, you know, archaeologists dress like. And I don't know what archaeologists dress like, but they definitely do just dress like Indiana Jones. They've got the hat. They've got like the, the leather jacket and the tan shirt and everything like that. They just look like they're Indiana Jones because I think that's what they think they should be dressed like when they're visiting these sites as tourists because they're just tourists they're not doing anything mm -hmm. they're not actually going to do archaeology there they're just tourists but they dress like indiana jones when they go to these locations yeah um archaeologists dress um normally because they're just graduate students during the summer they're just people i didn't know if there was like a special like you know like, uniform yeah i didn't know if they all had uniforms you know that say like archaeology archaeologist on it and it was no. their name tag or anything uh, their no, uniform just, is probably normally. beer i've heard beer is a major component of being on that's these cool uh they wear gloves probably because they're working with dusty stuff and stuff that's sensitive and um they usually are probably wearing a hat because um usually it involves sun. working in the sun so yeah and usually the only time that they can uh do archaeological digs they use like it's done in seasons so usually they go when there isn't classes to be teaching which is usually the summer mm. so and how does the whip play into it all in fact actually the way that it plays into it is that the way that they dress that, that they think is like an archaeologist the indiana jones thing is very much mm. the way that uh a lot of people who called themselves archaeologists but were actually just agents of british imperialism and were essentially robbing the country of its cultural heritage oh. uh, in the 19th century dressed so i see how the whip might play in yeah there all right all they're missing is the pith helmet really mm. so the closest uh, analogy you probably find is do you remember the big game hunter from jumanji that's sort of the, yeah, the thing they're going for that's sort of him hey is indiana jones a bad guy yes has anyone has anyone talked about this is indiana jones a bad guy for for going to different cultures and taking their stuff possibly yeah Maybe, all right we'll never know yeah, okay we'll never know um so let's just say that claims that these skulls uh, have healing and supernatural powers and the ability to see the future or tell us like what's it called extrasensory perception maybe uh that or that has all been approached with a little bit of skepticism from scientists and archaeologists uh there's no actual evidence of any unusual phenomenon associated with the skulls and furthermore there's a lot of confirmation that their method of manufacture do not imply they are made by ancient civilizations that's what we're going to get into um the uh, one of the people who had access to the crystal skulls are the british museum and the smithsonian institute two organizations that well are basically giant active open crime scenes uh because they're mm. just a place where they've stolen a bunch of stuff from other cultures but they are also it belongs in a museum that's what he says now you can see how wrong that is now i can see it now yeah in hindsight mm -hmm. so uh they've looked at but they have resources to verify the um the manufacture of these things and they've looked at these skulls and found evidence of things that look rather modern uh one of them have indented lines uh, basically showing that the teeth of the skull were carved with jeweler's equipment or rotary tools, which did not oh. exist before the 19th century. Oh, 
that makes sense. Yeah. A little Dremel in there. Using electron microscopy and X-ray crystallography, they were also able to find that uh, that they were worked with a harsh abrasive, such as uh, corundum or diamond, and was shaped using a rotary disc tool used from a pseudo metal. So basically very high-tech modern-day tools. They found one that was just 3D printed, <laughs> that and it still, had the su- it still had the supports on it, and they're like, this isn't convincing at all. Yeah. How did this get in here? Uh, one Mayan archaeologist by the name of Norman Hammond also found holes in the skull. Another that- Shia LaBeouf movie. Yep. <laughs> Man, he's doing all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. He, they found that he had uh, that, that holes that might have been support pegs in it had signs they were probably drilled with metal, a thing that the Maya people distinctly did not have access to. I was kidding about the supports earlier when I made the 3D printed joke, but that's... I guess they would genuinely need to have supports if they needed to stand upright. Yeah. Uh, and the Smithsonian specimen also shows signs of being uh, by, by being used with something called cor- uh, carborundum or silicon carbide, which is a synthetic substance that's manufactured using modern industrial techniques. Mm. Uh, and the earliest dates of the synthesis of uh, carborundum only goes back to 1890 uh, and was only really widely available in the 20th century. And because of this, they suspect that the skulls uh, that that skull was probably made no earlier than the 1950s so do you think but but you have to take into account though if these were real alien skulls like the movie claims that these are real alien skulls i don't know if that's what people are, are people claiming that these are real alien skulls or that people are carving them based off of aliens they're usually claiming that they are uh some sort of like fortress of solitude like technology you know crystal power okay. well that's the thing what and look if they had access if aliens came and visited them couldn't the aliens have given them technology now granted it wasn't going to be alien technology it was going to be like here's something that you guys will invent maybe a century or a couple centuries from now maybe a couple dozen centuries from now yeah here's a dremel you're gonna love it how do you plug it in uh yeah energy and just tap into earth's energy plug it into our the crystals. Cholula pyramid and uh mm-hmm. yeah so this is like the thing is that it would make sense like there you'd almost have an argument if it wasn't for the fact that the signs show that they were made with specific tools that were made yeah. by people uh that we know about and like that they used abrasives like diamond dust which is a pretty common way to like mm-hmm. sand and carve with uh with hard materials Another thing is that the type of crystal was determined by examination of chloride inclusions uh, and on further analysis of the skull's makeup found that the way that it formed, because you can find a lot of details in like the the imperfections and stuff found in it, you can get an idea where the crystal came from. Mm -hmm. In doing an analysis, they found that the kind of quartz needed to make the crystal skulls really can only be found in a couple of places, uh, Madagascar and Brazil, two places that you might think of as being far away from pre-Columbian Mesoamerica. Mm, okay. Yeah. So that would make it tricky. So given this information and the evidence that they picked up about the manufacture of these skulls, they estimate that they were probably built sometime in the mid to late 1800s. And at that time, you can see in the sort of cultural context of the period that there was a large public interest in ancient cultures and museums were eager to find new pieces to display. And they weren't exactly the greatest at finding fakes at that time. So if you had something like, say, a crystal skull that you could claim came from an ancient Mesoamerican civilization, you made a, a convincing yes. a forgery, you could sell it to the museum and make a pretty penny. Not only that, but like the idea of a crystal skull is probably a real good, you know, it can attract a crowd, mm-hmm. right? Number one, it's shiny. People love that. Number two, it's interesting, right? It's like a, a very intricate carving of, of a human anatomy out of this really cool material. It's a little bit different. Were these crystal skulls, like in the movie, they they're definitely like look like alien heads, like they're a little bit elongated. Is that how they were? No, they look like human these? skulls. They just look like human skulls? All right, never mind. But, you know, it's just, it's like, it's like kind of interesting. It is like art. 
I mean, it sort of is art, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's not, even if it's fake, it's, you know, someone still made, carved a thing out of a crystal. That's still cool. So I could see museums latching onto it um, without being very rigorous, being like, well, this will surely get a crowd in here. Mm -hmm. But we know so much about how these things were faked that it does seem that the British Museum was able to even pinpoint where it was likely built, which was Mm. the town of Eidar Oberstein, which was this place in Germany that was renowned for making items out of quartz that they imported from Brazil in the late 19th century. All right. Pretty big giveaway. If they are known for making stuff out of quartz, that's at least that's a good lead for sure. Furthermore, we've never actually seen any of these skulls uh, be excavated in an official archaeological excavation. And Mm. so uh, it's been pretty much determined by the British Museum and all the other people who've actually looked at these skulls that they are all fakes. Gotcha. So people just showed up with them and they were just like, hey, I found a, I found a skull. Trust me. Yeah. It was, yeah. Just trust, trust me. If you're, you're a white man one. in the 19th century, that's basically all you needed to be trusted by authorities, I think. Yeah. I found a, I found a thing. Trust me. Pay me money, probably. Yeah. There you go. So the other, but the thing is that it is an important thing to mention, like, why did they use skulls? And instead of it being like some sort of like weird alien reason, it's because if you go at, to Mesoamerica, especially if you look at a lot of Aztec art, you know that skulls feature prominently. And so it was an easy, like, forgery to make that you could say that, oh, like, yeah, this is from Mesoamerica because skulls feature so heavily in their art. So it would look like it fit Mm. with the other artifacts. Fits in. Okay. It's apparently... According to a professor of anthropology at Arizona State, Michael Smith, a symbol of regeneration and that several Aztec gods are represented by skulls. This is true. Their god of the underworld is literally a a skeleton with a human liver sticking out of its stomach. So like, yeah, like skulls are a major part of even at the Templo Mayor, the the big pyramid that was in the middle of Mexico City. uh, If you Mm -hmm. go to its archaeological ruins today, which I have been to, a lot of its uh, little parts of its pyramid look like they were built out of like car carved piles of skulls. So very often uh, when they do this, they're Mm. invoking these gods, uh, not exactly Mm -hmm. trying to invoke a specific type of power, but as like in the way that say like a church tries to invoke the power of Jesus by putting a sign of the cross on it or something like that. Ah, a little T. Yeah. So that's, that's a little bit about the, the skull story, but there is a real story of the skull that we do know. And I'm going to get into that now. Ooh, please do. So there's a handful of skulls that have uh, names to them. And I'm going to get into all of their individual How stories. How many skulls could you fit in a hand, Tristan? <laughs> I think you could only fit one. Maybe I juggle them. You could juggle Maybe probably juggle up to like them. 10 of them. You could ju- Oh, that's true. You know what? I wasn't thinking about the jugglers. Yeah. Uh, I was doing that thing. Actually, I've always wanted to do, if there was any sort of party trick I wanted to learn, you know that like, I think it's considered a form of juggling, but it's where you like hold a crystal ball and you just like move it around in like cool ways. Yeah. I think it's called ki- kinetic ju- juggling. Kinetic juggling. I want to learn how to do that. Where where do you go to learn circus skills in general? Yeah. I think you just ask Penn and Teller. I don't think they're doing much and they're good at it. What is that called? Crystal ball juggling. I think I thought it was called kinetic juggling, but I could be wrong. It doesn't matter. You know what we're talking about. It's not actual juggling. You're not tossing it in the air. You're no. just you're you're moving it around and it because it's made of because it's clear, it doesn't look like it's spinning or rotating or anything. Mm-hmm. So it looks like you're just manipulating this thing that's sort of like free floating in space and it's really cool. Yeah. Contact juggling. Contact juggling. All right. That's what I got to get into doing that. Um so so I'll talk about a few famous crystal skulls. The most famous one probably being the Mitchell Hedges skull, which first showed up in the world in 1924 by Anna Mitchell Hedges, the adopted daughter of a British adventurer and author F.A. Mitchell Hedges. It's made from a block of clear quartz. It's about the size of a human skull, about 13 centimeters or five inches tall, 18 centimeters or seven inches long, and 13 centimeters or five inches wide, and was the subject of a- doing all of those calculations, all those conversions. And it was the subject of a documentary in 1990 called Crystal Skull of Luban Okay. This one was examined and described by the Smithsonian as a very nearly a replica of the British Museum skull, almost exactly the same shape, but with a more detailed modeling on the eyes and teeth. Mitchell Hedges claimed that she found the skull buried under a collapsed altar inside a tomb in Luban Tomb in uh, in British Honduras, which is in modern day Belize. Okay. Luban Tomb is a Mayan ruin, uh, a yeah. real one, and 
Her father, F.A. Mitchell Hedges, did make no mention of such a discovery when he was in this region. Um, He only mentioned the skull briefly in the first edition of his biography, which was called Danger My Ally, Uh uh, but did not specify where or by whom it was found. Merely claimed that it's at least 3,600 years old, and according to legend, it was used by the high priest of the Maya when he was performing esoteric rites. It's said that he willed death with the help of the skull, death invariably followed. Very cool. In 1970, in a letter, Anna also stated that she was told by the few remaining Maya that the skull was used by the high priest to will death. And for this reason, it sometimes gets referred to as the skull of doom. Ah. Um, The thing, though, is that after the first edition of Danger My Ally, the skull gets like every subsequent edition of the book removes all references to the skull. Mm. Plus, uh, the other problem is that uh, nobody actually makes any references to the skull being at the dig. Like other people who are at the excavation of Lumontum claim to see a skull. Another thing is that none of them ever claimed that Anna was ever at the dig. (laughs) Oh, okay. Just wasn't there, but somehow has it? Mm Mm-hmm. She wasn't there. The skull wasn't there. But, but, yeah. But, but that's not what she's saying. Mm-hmm. There is some evidence, though, that F.A. Mitchell Hedges bought it at a Sotheby's auction in London on October 15th, 1943, from a London art dealer named by the name of Sidney Burney. That's so, that's so silly. It's just so, yeah, it's just an art piece. Yeah. As I keep, and like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's cool looking. It's not as cool as the one from the movie, because the one from the movie has like stuff inside that makes it sort of look like there's stuff going on this is just this almost just looks like it's like just pure see-through so it's not as cool but like you know someone made it and that's neat yeah even more evidence shows that in december of 1943 he wrote a letter to his brother where he stated that he had recently bought a skull from an auction uh from the artist sydney bernie oh okay yeah so this is just like fully confirmed then yeah it's just an art piece yeah uh in the early 1970s it then became under the temporary care of an art restorer by the name of frank dorland who claimed that it had been carved with total disregard to the natural crystal axis and without the use of metal tools. Uh, Reported that he was unable to find any telltale scratch marks except for traces of mechanical grinding on the teeth, and he speculated that it was first chiseled into rough form, probably using diamonds, and finer shaping, grinding, and polishing was achieved through the use of sand over a period of 150 to 300 years, claiming that it could be up to 12,000 years old. Okay, 12,000 years Mm -hmm. is the claim once, okay once that with both that report it then came to the attention of the writer richard garvin who was uh at the time working for an advertising agency uh and supervised hewlett packard's advertising account and at hewlett packard he was analyzing their crystal laboratories in santa clara california where all right uh which had uh, you know tools for studying crystal so i would hope so yeah, in that laboratory yeah so richard was able to take the skull and have it tested by these tools that actually could study crystal over at hewlett packard yeah that's what they're for and and did he what did he find did he find that it's twelve thousand years old they determined that it was definitely not a composite as had been supposed but it was just one piece of quartz and that the right, lower jaw cool. had been fashioned from the same left-handed growing crystal as the rest of the skull no investigation Investigation was made by Hewlett Packard, though, into how it was made or how old it was, uh, because uh, I don't know. They're in on it because HP's they're in on it. in on it. And for some reason, for for uh, you know, beyond our uh, recognition, Anna Mitchell Hedges refused any subsequent requests to submit the skull for further scientific testing. Oh. <laughs> She was like, this is a precious artifact. We can't, we can't just go doing all these tests on it. It might fall apart. What do you think it's made of? It's so fragile, this crystal (laughs) skull. We can't do these tests on it. It's so, and it's an important relic of history. We got to take good care of it as I go and tour around with it and show it off to people. Speaking of which, one thing she did do with it was go on tour with it in 1967 on a pay-per-view basis. Um, And uh, yeah, somewhere between 1988 and 1990, she toured the skull continued to grant interviews about the artifact and did so uh claiming that it was you know had all these mystical properties and that it was so ancient right up until the day that she died in 2007 what but this thing can like cure death or something sure yeah well but it does kill people also Mm -hmm. it does kill people yeah so maybe maybe uh, maybe a mayan priest uh willed death and she died um, yeah, she died in 2007, but that's not the end of the story because what happened was is that she came back. Anna Mitchell oh. Hedges lived.
lived in Chesterton, Indiana with a man named Bill Homan, who she married in 2002. And okay. since she died, the skull has been in the possession of Bill Homan, who continues to claim that it has mystical properties. He took the skull to the office of anthropologist Jane McLaren Walsh in the Smithsonian for examination. And Walsh carried out a detailed examination of the skull using UV light, high-powered light microscopes, and computerized tomography, and was able to take two sets of silicon molds of the surface tool marks for scanning using an electron microscope. And this is what revealed that the crystal had been worked on by high-speed hard metal rotary tools coated with a hard abrasive like diamond, which basically shows that it was made Mm, in modern modern, times. Modern human tools, not necessarily. I mean, it's hard (laughs) to say, it's hard to rule out aliens, right? Because we don't know what tools, maybe, maybe alien technology is like, they can build faster than light travel or interdimensional travel or whatever. But when it comes to crystal carving, their technology peaked with uh, with humans, mm-hmm. as, as far as humans went. Now, here's the thing. Jane McLaren Walsh might have had a thing or two to know about manufacture because she has done extensive research on artifacts from Mexico and Central America and knew that pre-contact artisans, if they were to make something like this, would use either uh, abrading the surface with stone or wood tools, or in later times might use copper in combination with uh, abrasive sand or pulverized stone. Mm. The examinations led to the conclusion that the skull was probably carved sometime in the 1930s and was most likely based on the British Museum skull, which had been exhibited fairly continuously from 1898 onward. So well, it's basically a copy of the other one. The 19, yeah, I mean, the 1930s feels like forever ago. It feels like an ancient era. So in how seven far years will be a hundred years ago. Yeah. So there you I'm go. just saying, maybe it, it, it is ancient. Mm-hmm. I mean, when does something become ancient? Do we know? Is there like a definition for archaeologists? I don't think so. It's just a term for very old. All right. Um, but then what's this British Museum skull all about? If it's if this might, maybe this is the real crystal skull. So the f- this has got to be the real. Yeah. The, it's in the British Museum. So they must have the real thing. Mm-hmm. If anyone would have it, it's them. They know how to they know how to find the good stuff and take it and show it off. Yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about this one. So the first time we saw this skull, it appeared in 1881 in the shop of a Paris antiquitian by the name of Eugène Bobin. And Ooh, that's fun. Eugène Bobin. Yeah. Uh, and the origin was not stated in his catalog at the time, but then he said that he tried to sell it to Mexico's National Museum as Aztec artifact, but was unsuccessful. He then moved to New Mm. York City, where his skull was sold to a guy named George H. Sisson, who exhibited it at a meeting of the American Association of the Advancement of Science in New York in 1887 by George F. Kuntz. Eugene Eugene Bobon was like, I couldn't get one over on the people of Mexico, but you know who I bet would be suckers? Some white folks with too much money. Oh, yes. And 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 uh, money he did get because the skull was eventually sold at auction and bought by Tiffany's of Tiffany uh-huh. and Tiffany and Company of Tiffany's fame. Great. Who later then sold it to uh, the British Museum at cost in 1897. Fantastic. Unlike it, it's very similar to the Mitchell Hedges skull, but it doesn't have as much detail and it doesn't seem to have a movable lower jaw like that one does. But again, the British Museum did its own analysis and claims that it's probably European from the 19th century at some point i.e this one is probably one from the the german yeah. uh, workers so but not having that movable jaw would make it a terrible fidget toy you need something true. to move but here's the thing that wasn't the only crystal skull that eugene Bobin owned he had another one which we call the paris skull it's got a closet full of this stuff yeah there are skeleton there are literal skeletons in his closet crystal skeletons mm-hmm. and he sold another one of these to a guy named alphonse pinard some t- and this one's called the paris skull it's about 10 centimeters or four inches tall and has a hole drilled vertically through its center okay so this one eventually became a part of the collection at the musée de Crébalny, uh and was the subject to scientific tests carried out in 2007 and 2008 by france's national centre de recherche de restauration des musées de france or the uh center for research and Gosh. restoration in the museums of france uh sometimes referred to as I, the c2rmf i love when you talk french to me it's very good <laughs> oh yeah i was like, my, my, my like super being, uh anglo accent being being genuine i love the french accent and it's so good and i'm I, or i love the french language how about that i don't know i can't i'm not a good judge of whether your accent was good or not i have no idea 
But, you know, I love the French language. It sounds fun to me. I, I speak French with a very English accent. Fair enough. But uh, they did. A, but the, C, uh, the C2RMF did a series of analysis over a period of three months in the early 2000s and 2007, 2008, and concluded that it was certainly not pre-Columbian and shows traces of polishing and abrasion by modern tools. Um, Again. They then stuck it into a particle accelerator and revealed oh, that uh, okay. there are traces of water that dated to the 19th century. And the Quay Bronley uh, re- uh, released a statement saying that the test seemed to indicate that it was made in the late 19th century. So the way that they were able to tell that it was made in the late 19th century century was by using a process called quartz hydration dating, which is essentially a way of, with a particle accelerator, looking at traces of water that are in the quartz and being able to tell when the or where the quartz was formed or when it was carved uh, based on that specimen. And mm. they believed that the Paris skull had been carved later than a reference quartz specimen artifact that had been cut in 1740. Okay. So they concluded that uh, uh, this combined with the skull's known uh, provenance that it was probably carved in the 18th or 19th century. But there's mm. another skull. There's another one. How many skulls we got? Well, a handful, as we've discussed. This 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 one's even more fun. So this is a skull that was um, mailed anonymously to the Smithsonian <laughs> Institute of Natural <laughs> History in 1992. <laughs> Already, no red flags. Yeah. This all seems above board. <laughs> so an anonymous, uh, it was mailed anonymously to the Smithsonian, to the, to the National Museum of Natural History, uh, with documentation claiming that it was an Aztec object by the donor, and uh, purportedly from the collection of uh, Porfirio Diaz, who was a Mexican general and was a seven-term president of Mexico in the late 19th century. Mm-hmm. The, this is the biggest skull. It weighs about 14 kilograms or 31 pounds. That's a big skull. Yeah, and it's 38 centimeters or 15 inches tall. Wow, that's good. And this is the one that they discovered was carved using uh, Corborundum, which is a modern day abrasive and mm. uh, today is kept in the Natural History Museum, displayed as a example of a modern fake. Oh, okay. At least they're doing that part of it. They, that's a way to like, that's recycling. I like that. Reduce, reuse, recycle. They're like, we are going to take this uh, thing. Did they ever display it as, as a real thing or did they, have, or was it just immediately taking it for testing? Yeah. They're like, well, this is a fake, but we're, we'll just display it as a fake anyway. Cause we got it for free. Yeah, it does look, it does look like they were probably skeptical or at least it wasn't for long. So, and it's like, what's going on with this? Like, why are all of these skulls showing up in the late 19th century? What, what was going on? Apparently, there was this really big deal in the 1890s or the late 19th century with trading in fake pre-Columbian artifacts. Mm. Um, and it was such a big deal that uh, in 1886, Smithsonian archaeologist William Henry Holmes wrote an article called, quote, The Trade in Spurious Mexican Antiquities. Uh, so it was like a big phenomenon of of dealing in fake pre-Columbian out there uh, Mexican art. Yeah. yeah, people were just trading. It was like American pickers, but not American. Yeah. I getcha. Other thing, though, too, is that a lot of them seem to come from this Eugene Boba. You know, I don't even should I be mad at this guy? He's seems like he's a fun little grifter like it's it's i don't i don't know how damaging his stuff is other than just like fooling a fooling people with money like i don't know grifting rich people is uh not only innocent but also fun and good a moral good yeah yeah Um, i don't know if 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 these sorts of if this grift did any harm to the actual culture that he was claiming these skulls were from, but like, uh, I don't know. It just sort of seems like he was playing pranks on rich people. Yeah. So he, um, he apparently, so he owned a, a shop in Paris that sold antiquities, but then he also operated in Mexico city from the years 1860 to 1880. And mm-hmm. according to the Smithsonian, Boba acquired the skulls probably from Germany. Uh, and then, sold them as ancient Mexican antiquities, mentioning the fact that he had like using the context that he had by spending time working in Mexico at the same time. So he had a shop in Paris that he was selling the antiquities through, but he was also operating in Mexico and had enough context to understanding of like actual Mexican antiquities to be able to take these German uh, skulls and, you know, spin a weave about them so that he could sell them alongside like real Mexican antiquities. That's the thing about antiques, right? It's not really about the object itself. It's about the story that comes with the object. That's what really gives it value. It's called aura. I, and I, yeah, no, I mean, I mean this like genuinely as someone who loves old stuff. I love like antiques and I love getting like genuine old um, 
you know, things from from days long past. It is not really about the object itself. It's about what the, the story that the object has. And, and that's the thing that that I think adds value to it. And it's very silly because mm-hmm. you could always someone could always lie exactly like right here of just like I'm going to spin a tale about it. And but, you know, if it makes you happy, it makes you happy. Uh, I just I'm I just get a lot of I in the past. I've, I've seen people criticize people for like collecting antiques because it's just like, why do you want an old thing? It's why is it so expensive? It's it's old it should be cheap but it's like i don't know it's just the story behind it and mm-hmm. it's it makes you feel a certain way and i don't know i get it mm-hmm. but there is always the case that someone's lying yeah about it, like right here <laughs> um the fact remains though is that we actually aren't sure who made these skulls or exactly when and because we do have a lot of interesting dates that do put a lot of times on things we don't have anything that can really determine the age of inorganic artifacts to a really specific degree so there's likely still going to be some mystery about it um but they do seem to be all fakes and uh now has have been talked about aesthetically in different things like uh one of the biggest ones was that the british museum talked about it extensively in a conference on art crime because Mm. that is a part where this is this is uh this is basically forgery it is fake art (laughs) um yes it is um it is a fun way to get your art into a museum though right Mm -hmm. like what if we sent something to the smithsonian and said that it was a real thing and then they were like no it's not but we'll display it as a forgery that could be fun for us yeah it's the real mona lisa right this is the real mona lisa and then they'll we'll be like, mona no, lisa, it's we'll not. Use that new uh, Photoshop tool to add like uh, the extra things and be like, look, it's the rest of Da Vinci's it's painting. It's the whole thing. Yeah, we've- it's the rest of. You didn't see that the, but you know, there was a, a UFO back here, and he's waving, and there's a little like balloon, like a word balloon from the alien that says, "Looking good, Mona Lisa," and that's what he intended. Mm-hmm. That's what Da Vinci intended. Da Vinci. Uh, da Vinci. He did the Mona Lisa, right? Yeah. Am I, yeah. That's what the boy intended. And then when we send it to them, they'll say, no, it's not. But we'll put it up in our prestigious museum mm-hmm. to show people that it's a fake. And boom, instantly, we've got art in a museum. Yep. And look how cool we are. Now, I have a fun thing to share with you is that this was made back in the day when I used to still write an official section called the part where I make you sad. Uh, so I got we a haven't bit, done those in a while. No, we haven't. Um, so basically, the main thing, let's talk about Indiana Jones. Um, the primary message of the film Indiana Jones is that space aliens allowed for civilization to occur in the Americas. And the film also depicts mm. natives as basically insane spear handlers and Mesoamerican pyramids in South America and ultimately the Mayan and Teotihuacan style thrones for ancient skeletons perpetuates a biased and inaccurate perception of Native American groups in North and South America. Um, yeah, I ha- I didn't, I only watched this movie like when it came out originally, so I wasn't really thinking about that sort of stuff back in the day. It will be interesting to revisit the movie with all of this uh, context in mind. I will think it's bad for completely different reasons than mm-hmm. I thought it was bad <laughs> back then. Yeah, the movie portrays Native Americans as violent aggressors against the heroes of the film, and that uh, the Crystal Skulls are interdimensional aliens gracing indigenous people with social complexity, and that these groups have no power or resources to produce a popular image of themselves on the scale of Indiana Jones, which means that to a lot of people, this is the depiction of Native Mexicans that you're going to get. You know what's fucked up about that too is I'm just remembering this I could be remembering wrong we have we're gonna rewatch the movie here in a little bit but I think there's a scene in that movie where Shia LaBeouf's character swings around with a bunch of monkeys and those monkeys like immediately understand that like he's cool and he's one of the good ones and then like they I think they attack some of the Nazis so like the movie is almost like hey these like indigenous people are brutes and they're just like they're not civilized and they're gonna like attack people and kill and kill you on site and they're just you can't reason with them but you know who you can reason with is monkeys Mm -hmm. monkeys are better actually than the indigenous people is what the movie feels like it's communicating to me also i feel like that's uh, real fucked up before we get a comment about it also the villains in the crystal skull are communists uh oh they're not nazis no 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 they're communists they're they're russians Look, Indiana Jones, you just gotta just do Nazis. 
That's all you get. Just, just fight Nazis. That's all people want to see is, is Harrison Ford fight Nazis. That's the only thing. And they can't do that right. I mean, I think the new movie is Nazis. So yeah, that's probably better. Um, the other thing too, is that these, the crystal skull mythology, which probably has its legend to the Mitchell Hedges book, um, has been picked up by the new age movement and, uh, has been claimed to have all these powers. But the thing is it doesn't actually have anything to do with genuine native American or Mesoamerican stuff. It's another case of, uh, basically cultural appropriation of native Mexican art and culture for the insatiable hunger of the new age movement meant to steal from indigenous cultures. Um, yeah. And because of that, um, it's again another case because this happens over and over again with Mesoamerican cultures, as we've seen with King Pakal's tomb and Cholula. And it just seems like uh, Mesoamerican creations uh, are high uh, targets for weird claims. So instead of, I mean, you mentioned crystal, you mentioned crystals anywhere around a new age, new new age movement thing. People mm-hmm. are going to go bonkers for that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so in- instead of a- trying to be more accurate or portrayal indigenous people in a more human way and represent their ancestors in film. Instead, they're trying to move still in the direction. Uh, for some reason, like there's been a little bit of backlash against this when it comes to like Native North Americans, like, you know, the Native Americans who live in like uh, reserves and reservations in Canada and the US. But there doesn't seem to be the same pushback when it comes to the indigenous people of Mexico, where it still seems socially okay to portray like Nahuatl and Maya people as if they are still violent savages because yeah. of uh, things. Other examples would be Apocalypto or King Kong mm. Mm. And, yeah. or, or Indiana Jones. And that sucks because like, you know, real stories aren't interesting enough to turn into uh, stories. They have to distort and make extreme realities. Uh, then, you know, actually like look at what archaeologists say about these people. Um, and so it results in things like bone detectives that align indigenous practices with Western nations and new world peoples. For example, uh, saying that they're bloodthirsty geta- ca- decapitators or sacrificers of virgins or even mass murderers, which oh I feel like if you were to ask anybody if they knew one thing about the Aztecs, they would probably say human sacrifice, uh, not yeah. the fact that they had built artificial islands, the fact that they had uh, a very complex inter national like uh you know inter like national order that they had built uh all sorts of like they had built these all sorts of great works of art of of architecture no it's always carving the hearts out for the sacrifice to the war god that's it and yeah and we've talked about this a couple times on the show in the past too where it's it's like were there human sacrifices in the past sure but there's way more context around it Mm -hmm. that is that you need to take into account yeah it seems like uh, to a lot of people, understanding people of the past on their own terms is really important when we're talking about Columbus, who was universally hated for the horrible things he did to natives at the time that he existed. Yeah. But when talking about the indigenous Mexican people, that same grace does not get extended. <laughs> no, everyone just judges them based off of today's thing where it's like human sacrifice. Yeah, well, that's that's horrible. We would never do that. They're terrible. Maybe if you took one percent of your uh, extremely extreme insistence on, on historically contextualizing people, if you took one percent of the energy you did towards trying to rehabilitate Confederate generals and put it towards indigenous Mexicans, yeah, maybe. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we maybe. might make some progress here. But anyways, um, potentially that's the Crystal Skulls, uh, a very interesting story in uh, the history of art forgery and fake artifacts and cultural appropriation and the continuing uh, commoditization and fetishization of indigenous Mexican culture. What an episode. Just, it feels it feels like a classic from the 20. You have that it same feels like bad a classic. feeling from an episode from 2021. Remember, we'd always end on that. But we but we do have a good thing to also end on, which is that remember, if you want to hear us do a commentary track over the entirety of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, you can do so over at nebula.tv slash probably not aliens. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way to make that listening experience very easy for you. I'm excited to rewatch it, especially with you. I think that'll be very fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm dreading it. I don't think I've seen it since I was like a teenager or 2008, 2008, I yeah. was 19. So barely a teenager, yeah, barely a teenager. Uh, same for me. So I'm, ex- I'm, I'm excited and also dr- sort of dreading revisiting it. And uh, yeah, look forward. To- you can probably listen to that right now, right? If, if our timeline lines up. Yep. 
But uh, if you want more of our stuff, you can also follow us at Probs Not Aliens on Twitter and Instagram. My partner, Emily, has been trying to whip up ideas for us to do more social engagement over on Instagram. Go, Emily. That will be fun. Yeah, go, Emily. And if you want more of Tristan, Tristan, where can people find you? You've got a fun video you're working on. Yeah, you can go to nebula.tv slash step back or check out step back on YouTube. And uh, yeah, if we're getting this in the timeline that I think it is, then my latest video should be on the topic of me making a tier list of all the US presidents based on the important factors of pros, cons, and the all important smasher pass. Yeah, you got to have the smasher pass factor when ranking them on the tier list. It's not 100% of what we should be rating them on, but it is a big factor Mm -hmm. for sure. Now, Scott, if I wanted to learn whether or not Marvel stole Spider-Man's costume, uh, where would I want to go to watch that? (laughs) Are you just looking up my old videos? (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm making it a thing now. Yeah, you can watch that video from like, what, 2018, 2017? 2018, yeah. Um, Over on my YouTube channel, NerdSync, which is N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C. I have newer videos, by the way. (laughs) But Tristan's going to keep pointing out my old ones. That's okay. That was a good video. I had a lot of fun with that one. Yeah, I may, I'm also on Nebula as well. Uh, Nebula.tv slash NerdSync. We're plugging it because Tristan and I, uh, tr- t- a little behind the scenes, Tristan and I make money when people sign up with our links. So you can show us who you love more. Mm. But <laughs> No, don't do that. You can always sign up through Nebula.tv slash probably.aliens. Yeah. And then we'll both get money. That would be great too. I like money. That'd be fantastic. And thank you to everyone who writes reviews of the show uh, on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out and for telling your friends about this show uh it's a it's like the biggest way that we grow is just by word of mouth and we always joke that uh, dads love our show Mm -hmm. and i'm excited because in the near future tristan's tristan's gonna be visiting and you're gonna meet emily's dad who is a fan of this show and is excited to is excited to meet you so you get to meet a real life fan in a different country. It's exciting. And uh, yeah, a great place to send people is probsnotaliens.com. It's a website that has links to everything. And just a reminder, we are still doing a live show or not. We're not doing a live show. We are going to be attending an ancient aliens live show in November. Yep. And uh, in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So if you want to hang out with us, we could probably also say that we're going to do a meetup. I think we're going to get the date probably for our next episode, but it's because it's going to be like the day after the show. But mm-hmm. uh, I think we have decided that we're going to do Chicago. Overwhelmingly, I think Detroit got smashed by Chicago. Yeah, we were if we, if you were deciding between Chicago or Detroit to do a meetup. Chicago won hands down. So we're going to do a meetup in Chicago in November and we'll have more dates and information there, but just wanted to make sure you're aware. Yeah, actually, I, I can actually say something very, uh, very uh, kind of personal thing about that. So Chicago is like where my in-laws are. And mm-hmm. I learned very shortly after I found out that we were doing this, that we like decided to like kind of wrap in our holiday trip to the in-laws. And it turns mm-hmm. out that my son's going to have a new uh, cousin show up at <gasps> almost that exact time. So, oh, uh, so I'm going to have a new niece or nephew to visit at around that same time. So that's gonna be exciting. Oh, well, congratulations. That's very exciting. Mm-hmm. And then we'll all just rot our brains with some Ancient Aliens Live. Yep. And until next time, my name is Scott Nicewander. I'm Tristan Johnson, and the truth is out there. Probably. Those gonna be more singy. I was thinking that I could get like the thing, but you can't yeah. do that with enamel. See, I can't really. Yeah, hold on. No, I have a bell ding sound effect. I don't want to do that. <laughs>